we can imagine a situation where technology is advancing so quickly and we're very, very close to this, that life expectancy increased by more than a year for every year that you live in. So we might not have this, you know, immortality pill, but technology is advancing so quickly that it's causing us to run faster than the Reaper can catch us. Hey, welcome to Wait, You What? Where each episode, we hear from someone who has a surprising story of struggle, lived experience or expertise. The kind of stories and ideas that are head turners and they make you do a double take. Don't forget to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. If you've been liking the podcast, it helps boost me into the algorithm and then lots more people can hear these stories too. Let's get into this week's episode. All right, close your eyes for a second. Now, imagine a world where the currency isn't money, but time. If you're rich, you're rich in time, which means that you can quite literally live forever. And if you're not rich, well, then you're not so lucky. This is the plot of a sci-fi movie called In Time. It stars the triple threat Justin Timberlake, and it follows his character through this world as he navigates how he can chase the clock, buy more days, and extend the life of all the people he cares about. And although this movie didn't get great ratings on Rotten Tomatoes, like 37%, yeah, it taps into something that humans have been fascinated with for centuries. Living forever. You see it in so many more movies, in folklore, stories, in books. People are pretty obsessed with the idea of living forever. In Australia, babies born today can expect to live around 25 years longer than babies born 100 years ago. And this is because of things like modern medicine, sanitation, education and life quality. But as technology exponentially advances, we are faced with the question, how much longer will babies that are born 100 years from now live than babies born today? And I know that Justin Timberlake movie is purely sci-fi, but is it really that absurd to think that we might be headed for a future that's similar? There are a growing number of people who believe that the ability to live forever is just around the corner. These people are called biohackers. Yeah, my name is Miao Ludo. I'm 37 years old and I'm a, a biohacker. Miao Ludo has a background in genetics and he runs a community science lab. And if this name sounds kind of familiar to you, it's because in 2017, Miao Ludo got quite a lot of press. Sydney biohackers come up with a pretty ingenious way to save time on public transport and to make sure his Opal card is never lost or stolen. Miao Ludo Disco Gamma Meow Meow, yes, that's his name, has simply had the chip implanted in his hand. Pretty cheeky, right? But it really hit a cultural nerve. Having it implanted in his hand meant that Miao Ludo could tap on and tap off the public transport system without ever needing a ticket or a card. The New South Wales government was not impressed and they took him to court. He was convicted for attempting to travel without a ticket, but the conviction was overturned in court when the judge ruled in his favour. I I'm, have been described as a serial provocateur, so I've, you know, as we'll discuss throughout this, I've done lots of different things, but one of the ones that people are most interested in is my quest to live forever. Before we understand how Miao Ludo thinks this is even possible, we have to understand what biohacking actually is. Biohacking is basically, I, I define it, as taking a, a citizen science or an amateur or a layperson approach 
to microbiology and molecular biology. So this is looking at the, the smallest forms of life, bacteria, and thinking about how can we use them to do work. This could be things like yeast or plants or bacteria, anything from the living world that could be used as technology. And generally we're using them to turn one thing into something else. So say if you've ever brewed kombucha and turned sugar into alcohol, then you're technically a biohacker. There's no reason why, you know, someone who makes bread isn't considered a biotechnologist of some description by, by my definitions. Much the same way someone creates an mRNA vaccine in a fancy lab. They're, they're playing around with the same types of tools. And, and that, that's what fascinates me is how can we control things at this kind of atomic or molecular level? One of the core ideas of biohacking is that science should be democratized. It should be for everyone. So with very limited tools, you know, some of the tools that molecular biologists play with are very expensive. You know, the, generally... It might be you know, tens of thousands to millions of dollars, even tens of millions of dollars. But if you understand those first principles, you might be able to do it with something a lot cheaper. So generally we try and hack the equipment, which is one key pillar of biohacking. And you might be thinking, so how exactly can we use this biohacking to live forever? Well, we know a lot more about what causes aging than we did even 20 years ago. And what we're trying to do is take those understandings and try and create low-cost, safe technologies, medications, and treatments to stop the aging process. So to do this, Mialudo isn't aiming for a magical pill or anything like that that will reverse aging. All he's aiming for is something called escape velocity. Imagine that you are running away from the Grim Reaper. <laughs> Over time, you're getting tired. Escape velocity is the ability to outrun the Reaper. So even every time he catches up to you a little bit, you get a bit of a speed boost. And this ability to outrun the Reaper, that depends on whether life longevity technology is being made quick enough for you to stay ahead of your death forever. Say, for example, just hypothetically at this point, we get a one-month extension of life per year. After 12 years, you get an extra year added to your life. But what about if technology suddenly got increased and we got six months per year? So for every year you lived, you added an extra six months onto your life. We can imagine a situation where technology is advancing so quickly and we're very, very close to this, that life expectancy increased by more than a year for every year that you live it. So we might not have this, you know, immortality pill, but technology is advancing so quickly that it's causing us to run faster than the Reaper can catch us. How exactly are you going to do this? There's different approaches. We know there's a whole heap of things that cause aging. It's not just one thing. There's, there's a whole bunch of stuff. And then there's a whole bunch of treatments to attack all those different things. I think the most attractive treatment at the moment is looking at a part of the chromosome called the telomeres. We're going to get sciencey here for a second. So for all the naughty kids who sat up the back of science class, let's just get a refresher on what a chromosome is. I think of a chromosome as like a chapter in a book. And that series is the story of who you are. It's broken up into chapters and we call these chromosomes and you get half from your mom and half from your dad. And those have been remixed from their parents so that we always have this, you know, completely unique individuals getting born all the time. It's why we don't, you know, if you have 20 kids, you don't start getting identical versions popping out. It's because all that information is mixed around. So we've got these chromosomes, which are, are linear. So there's a straight line with ends. Bacteria, they have a circular chromosome. And this is really useful because you're doing things like copying it. You can just spin it around again and again, make lots of copies. 
um, but it limits the size that you can make your chromosome. So for more complex creatures, we generally want it linear because it allows us to do a whole bunch of other things. One of the problems is that every time that the chromosome is copied, the machinery that latches onto the end of the DNA can't copy the bit where it latches on. This is called the end replication problem, which means each time DNA is replicated, a fragment of it gets lost. So I might be thinking about if I was trying to like measure a broomstick and I grabbed the bottom of it and I could measure from above my thumb, but I couldn't actually measure what was in my thumb. That's kind of like what's happening here. The machinery that goes on, it can't actually copy that section. So what happens is every time it divides, the chromosomes get a little shorter. Which means that so do the telomeres, which sit on the ends of the chromosomes like little caps on the end of a shoelace. Obviously, that's, that's a problem because that, that, is, that information is important. That's the story of you, right? So you don't want to chop off you know, the, the beginning or the ending. Those things are important. So what it does is it adds a few blank pages at the beginning. So it copies this little, it's called junk DNA, one of the forms of junk DNA. So it doesn't actually code for anything. It's just there to act as a bit of a buffer. So when the machinery goes on, it's not it's not deleting anything useful. Now, up until you're 25, there's a, a little molecular machine in your body that just adds junk on there. When you're 25, that switches off. And it's actually one of the things that causes ageing. Enter an Australian scientist named Elizabeth Blackburn who discovered an enzyme called telomerase, which can add DNA to the ends of chromosomes to slow, prevent and partially reverse the shortening of the telomeres. My good friend Liz, um, Liz Parrish from a company called BioViva in America, read a study that I also read about some Spanish scientists that had tried to do this in mice. Now... They gave it to middle-aged mice, so, you know, around 35 to 45 years old in humans, and they gave them what looks like the AstraZeneca vaccine. So it's a, it's a modified virus, but instead of containing the information to make the spike 2 protein to protect you against coronavirus, it carried a piece of information that said to switch back on telomerase. And they injected this into mice, and what they found was a 26% extension of life in these mice. Which if we're to think about what that is in Australia right now, that would take us through to an average life expectancy of about 104 average, which is really exciting. When I read this, I'm like, wow, this is, this is so cool, right? And I was lucky enough in 2017 to fly to Texas and I got to be on a panel talking about regulation in the biohacking space with Liz. And I got to ask her some questions around this and uh, the reason that was, was interesting, Liz turned this into a human medication and she administered it to herself. So she is the first person in the world who's ever been ageing backwards. Wow. And she's currently ageing backwards? Uh, it depends on what your definition of ageing is, but her telomeres are getting longer. It, it's The jury is out, but we would say, I would say yes. Um, is she ageing backwards? Yes. By every molecular method we know of, yes. She posts all of her data online, though, so you can make up your own mind. You know, she doesn't claim to be ageing backwards, but she puts all of her data online and said this is an important part of biohacking because we need to be able to share this data with everyone. Something that traditionally, um, you know, big pharmaceutical companies wouldn't do this. It's phenomenally exciting, and this is just one of many different ways that we can we can um, approach this problem. So there's another there's another area called um, senolytics, uh, which says that you know sometimes in your body you get these cells that that become what we call zombie cells. So they kind of 
uh, they were going to become cancerous, but your body tried to kill them. But because it couldn't kill them, it said, okay, well, if I can just stop you from growing, then that's going to stop you from becoming cancer. So um, we'll stick you into a cell phase called G0, which is senescence. So it just sells, it just sits there not doing anything. Now, a similar study was conducted in mice and it managed to, they, they gave a drug that cleared out these senescent cells and they found a life extension of between 10 and 16% in these mice. And then when you start reading all these studies, you're like, wait a minute, if we can take all of these, maybe we can actually extend our life by quite a lot. And then there's a concept that you might be more familiar with thanks to things like Black Mirror, uploading your consciousness in order to live forever digitally. Digital immortality is one thing that I'm really interested in. And so people have for a while been trying to upload their brains to computers. And there was an old adage as well, um, that if you want to live forever, you can write a book plant a tree or have a child. And these were like, you know, other ways of thinking, how do I make sure that my essence kind of you know, permeates beyond my physical being? I've also heard about like, you you have two deaths. One is when your physical body dies and the other one is the last time someone speaks your name. So there's, you know, living isn't necessarily just about you know, what's going on inside your brain. There's all sorts of other ways of, of, of leaving an imprint on the world around you. And with brain-computer interfacing, things that Elon Musk is working on with Neuralink, there may be a way to take a ghost of ourselves that actually lives in the internet um, in a conscious way that's indistinguishable in experience from you or I now. So are you personally currently doing anything to yourself to make yourself live longer? The short answer is no. Um, the, the, the best things that you can do to live longer are really simple. You know, it's like exercise for 15 minutes a day. Um, I don't do that at the moment, but it's something that I plan on doing. I'm 37 now. I have to start most of these things before 45 because that's when aging really starts to kick in. Um, one of those things is lifting heavy weights. So once you lose muscle mass after 45, you don't really put it back on. So you have to continue that from that, um, that age. Uh, I would be looking at genetic therapies to increase my muscle mass. By a similar thing to telomerase, we can switch on folostatin or inhibit myostatin, and this causes muscle mass to grow. Leading a healthy lifestyle is definitely something you can do to um, expand all your natural possibilities for living a long time. And not only just living a long time, living well. So, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to live forever. If, you know, I've seen what I've looked like when I'm 80 or 90, imagine what I'd look like at 150. It's like, no, 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 no you extend your your youthfulness for a longer period of time as, as well. So that's an important thing. It has to be not just life extension, but good life extension. Um, I don't eat any supplements or anything like that. Um, I'm a geneticist, my background. So I'm very interested in how do I use DNA, RNA, as, as um, programs and instructions to tell my body what to do rather than kind of, you know, eat a thousand pills a day and hope for the best, which is a, a lot of you know, people who use the term biohacking do this. And it, it is kind of a form of it, but it's very imprecise. It's, it's about as much biohacking as uh, eating, an, eating a healthy meal or going for exercise as biohacking from my perspective. I think it's a, a thing that should be done with medicines. So your confidence that you will probably be able to uh, lengthen your life comes from these technologies that are being developed. You think that they will be developed quick enough? I think most of them are already here. So that, that, that's, that's, that there's enough here to extend our life right now if you have an, a high enough appetite for risk by quite a lot. Like there's enough good evidence that these are safe. They're not approved by the TGA or the FDA in America. And, and that process on its own is its own thing. And I'm not going to touch that. I think as an individual, 
um, who's got a good background in science and a good background in risk, you can actually make these things relatively cheaply, relatively easy with a very low risk profile for actually administering it. As for the long-term consequences and stuff like this, well, you know, that's that's your own decision to kind of work out whether that's something that you're okay with. I personally think that the risks the risks are lower than the benefits if it's if I did it myself. Why do you want to live forever? What what makes that exciting for you? So I think that before I was conscious, it was it was nothing. It was relaxing, but it was also boring. Like I didn't exist. Um, I think that when I started existing, I really like it. I'm an insanely intensely curious person, and I, there's a lot I want to get done. And I don't think that I can get everything I want to get done in this short period of life that I have. Um, a big part of it is I want to explore the cosmos. And when we talk, start talking about exploring space, human life life scales and lifetimes are not big enough to, to, to do this. And as far as we know, we're the only conscious things in the universe. That's that's really, really, really rare and special. And that doesn't happen very often and it might not happen again. And that means that we actually have a responsibility to explore and understand the system that we're inside this universe until at least the shortest time we find out if there's other things that also are conscious. And while speaking about immortality can be very exciting, it does raise a lot of curly questions like this one. So say, for example, that we all of a sudden had the ability tomorrow to take a pill that would enable us to live forever. What would happen if someone didn't take that pill? Are they committing suicide? And then there's the concept of collective life years. If the medications aren't produced correctly, you might kill someone and give them a lot less life. Um, But the question not being asked is how much life, collective life years are we losing by not using this technology? So this actually opens up the risk profile if you approach the problem in the right way. So it's like, it's very easy to say, well, no one is dying because they're taking bad life extension medication. But the question not being asked, especially by you know politicians and, and big companies, is well, well how, how much are we losing by not having it there? Even if the risk is reasonably high, well, if the other side of the coin is infinite life, it makes all the risk in the very early stages almost disappear into insignificance. And then there's the problem of laws and regulation. There's one example in particular that illustrates how tricky this could be in the future. There's some legislation which actually makes it difficult for people who experiment on themselves to move about the world as a free person because a whole heap of laws start clashing with each other. So genetically modified organisms aren't technically allowed in Australia to leave the laboratory, except under very, very explicit circumstances. And if I or you were to modify ourselves, we would be able to leave the laboratory because the government isn't allowed to keep you against your will um, without charge. So you get all these, you know, ethical and legal things bash into each other. And the regulators at the moment in Australia have asked, please can no one do this because it creates all sorts of problems. And so if this situation did arise, what law does the law listen to? The one that says GMO people can leave the laboratory or that they can't? Do you forego your humanity if you biohack on yourself? Yeah, and if you don't have a toilet in the laboratory, you are going to be in a very tough situation because even a jail cell has some basic, what, a bed, uh, a toilet, um, fresh air. These are things that are not guaranteed in a laboratory. So um, if you were to do this in a laboratory, you would kind of be trapped in there. 
Mialudo actually spends a lot of his time working with the Lord, trying to forecast what actually might be these clashes in laws and how they can go about mitigating what might come of it. I'm in favour of regulation in this space and I'm in favour of working with them to do it as well because it creates sensible legislation. When you wait for, you know, um, a crisis to happen, you get things like the lockout laws in New South Wales where, you know what, yeah, violent crime has decreased around you know, nightclub precincts. But part of this is because no one goes out anymore because they're killed off the entire thing. And it, it's not good for anyone under these circumstances because it wasn't smart. The, the businesses that operate there fail. The government doesn't get to get, get, to get revenue. You know, cities end up becoming boring. So the, the better thing is like before this type of stuff happens, why don't we make rules thinking what could happen and what's the worst case and how do we make it so that we minimise the fewest freedoms while allowing the most... Um, self-expression. As you might be able to imagine, there are quite a lot of groups that oppose what Meow Ludo and other biohackers are trying to achieve. So we have, you know, groups like Friends of the Earth who've protested my lab before, uh, Greenpeace and, you know, various kind of anti-science pro-environment groups that that, uh, try and get all these technologies removed. But Mialudo doesn't resent the fact that people disagree with him at all. In fact, he welcomes it. The the, the question that has to be answered when we're com- uh, pushing these things together is about the ethics behind it. And that has to satisfy all stakeholders here. So if I disagree with something that someone else does, should I have the right to be able to stop them from doing it? And sometimes that answer is yes. And often it's to do with how much damage I do to other people, either directly or indirectly. For example, if I really like setting off fireworks, which I do, (laughs) should I be able to set off, you know, tons of them every single day? Well, that's going to do a lot of damage to the environment and other people want to enjoy the environment too. And when we're talking about genetically modified organisms, those things can affect the environment and maybe in irreversible ways. This means that we shouldn't stop using them, but we should set a lot of regulations around them. And I, I think that the, the underlying motivations for me with the people that protest aren't necessarily as important as the, the outcomes that are realised, but it is important for both of us to realise that both our viewpoints are valid. And I feel, I feel the same way about vaccinations, for example. I, like If people are anti-vaccination, um, it's important that we listen to their viewpoints and we take them seriously, but we don't necessarily let them have freedoms to go and, and hurt other people or the environment. And I, I think that's what the purpose of the law is and that we should all respect it and participate in it. As you've probably noticed, Mia Ludo loves communicating about science and you should get in touch if you have any questions. Uh, if you want to follow along, I have a Twitter and a Facebook page. I'm very, very easy to find. I have a unique name. Um, and I, I do pretty regular outreach at least once a week for a couple of hours talking about science. So if anyone has any questions about like how to drill down, try and come and find me. Wait, You What is written, produced, recorded by me, Eric Mallett. Hope you like this week's episode. And I'll see you on the next episode of Wait You What.